G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Hi, it's Neil Johnson and welcome to today's 2020 podcast. You can hear 2020 on the Vision Radio Network weekdays from 10am. That's Australian Eastern Time or 11 if you're in the daylight saving states. Well, one of the sensitive areas that's not always easy to talk about is addictions, and especially when we venture into the issue of the addiction to pornography. One expert in the area of neuroscience is coming to Australia. He'll be here between the 8th and the 20th of March, Dr. William Struthers. He's the author of a book called Wired for Intimacy, How Pornography Hijacks the Brain. Dr. Struthers leads a team of researchers who are interested in answers to the areas of sexuality and problematic pornography. William Struthers, welcome to 2020. Now you use the word hijack. When you do that, it creates the image of being under attack. Exactly. And I think that's a a really interesting point because when we think about addictions, normally we think about drugs of abuse. So that might be cocaine or amphetamine or alcohol. And the only reason why any of these, these chemicals, any of these drugs are addictive at all is because they sort of go directly to the brain's uh, what I call a reward pathway. And so people will take these drugs over and over again because the brain already has kind of a pleasure center, a reward pathway. And so when you stop and think about that, well, you, you probably want to ask the question, well, what's that reward pathway doing there to begin with? And so when we look neurologically in the brain, what we find is that there are a handful of things that naturally activate this reward pathway. Uh, Certainly when a person is hungry and they eat food, that's a very pleasurable experience, and that activates this reward pathway. And when someone is very, very thirsty and they drink something, that activates this reward pathway. And uh, the the third one that we find, a a big one obviously, is that sexual activity activates this pathway. So when we use the language of sort of chemical addictions, it's not surprising that something like pornography could become addictive because that's what the system is there for anyway. It's there for picking up sexual cues and sexual responses uh, are triggered because of that. And so when we talk about sex addiction, sometimes people might say, well, you can't get addicted to pornography because it's not like a drug. But the neurological response is the only thing that you can become addicted to is anything that activates this natural eating, drinking, and sexual pathway. Now, William, this affects not only men, although your research has primarily been with men, but it also affects women, it affects young people, it affects old people, uh, both Christian and non-Christian. Everyone is uh, at risk of this level of addiction. I think so, and I think you also see that there's... There are a handful of things that go into uh, into addictions too. You know, it would be unfair to say that everyone who you know drinks a pint of ale becomes an alcoholic. And so, when we think of the way that people use a drug like alcohol, uh, well, you can make the argument that some people use it and they use it, you know, sort of uh, increase the, the the benefits of the taste of a meal. Red wine, you know, maybe goes better with red meat and white wine with fish or whatever it is. But people can also misuse things as well. And I think that when we think of you know 
misusing alcohol. A person might, you know, drink an alcohol, alcoholic beverage to avoid talking with their spouse about a problem that they're having. And that's not really a good thing. But people can also drink alcohol to excess and actually do damage to their bodies. And so they can be abusers of alcohol. And oftentimes what will happen is that people who progress to abuse can actually begin to start losing control of their ability to, to stop themselves. And it becomes more and more progressive. And they, they uh, have kind of repeated attempts to stop. And even in spite of negative consequences, they're not able to. And so with drugs of addiction, you can see this progression from use to misuse to abuse and, and occasionally into addiction. But not everyone who uses it does. So if we think of, for example, pornography as something, you know, that presumably some people will use or they'll misuse or they'll abuse it, um, not everyone progresses to addiction, but certainly the more you use it, the more likely you are to misuse it. The more you misuse uh, your sexuality, the more likely you are to kind of uh, be, be moving towards a place where you're now beginning to harm yourself or others. And at such a point in time when you begin to start losing control, that's where we would talk about someone who has an addiction to pornography. So it's the losing control point at which you could actually assess whether you had a real addiction problem or not. Precisely. So, for example, someone who loses their job because they can't stop themselves looking at pornography while they're at work, or someone who goes into financial ruin because they've acquired so much debt because of the, the, the fees that they get accessing it online. You know, that would be an example of where a person has clear markers of negative consequences, but they just can't stop themselves. They just keep charging that credit card, or they, uh, they, they just keep putting themselves at risk at their, uh, at their job, or they just keep putting themselves at risk uh, and, and in, their, in, their, in their marriage or in their relationships with, uh, with their loved ones. So some people are more predisposed to being hijacked by pornography than others. Uh, is there a particular person that, uh, that you could be on the lookout for or you could be saying, well, uh, maybe I'm more predisposed than someone else might be? Well, I think there are a number of things that go into that question of, you know, how does a person know if they're predisposed? And in my book, what I talk about is uh, when you look at the neural circuitry that underlies how most men become aroused sexually, what you find is that being male sort of already kind of puts one strike in your corner, we like to say, uh, because men tend to be neurologically a, a little more wired into looking for these visual cues. And pornography is inherently a, you know, a visual medium. It's about, you know, showing images of sexually explicit material, and men sort of start out kind of already predisposed because of that. But another factor would be uh, kind of the culture that you're in. Now, if, if you're a man and you're living in a culture where there's not a lot of explicit sexual material around, you really don't have to worry too much about it. Or if you don't have access to it, you don't have to worry too much about it. So a person who maybe has a, you know, comes from a family of alcohol abusers, um, if, they, if they're never around alcohol, then they don't really have to worry about becoming an alcoholic. So the culture also provides uh, a significant predisposition as well. Uh, there are other things uh, I think we find that, uh, you know, men who have low self-esteem or people who are, you know, struggling to find ways to deal with stress in their life, oftentimes they'll drift to this much in the same way that, for example, an alcoholic might drift uh, to, um, you know, to, to a drink to help them kind of get to sleep at night or to just to deal with the day or, or whatever. So, so pornography can become like a, a polydrug as well. And so if you're open to it and you don't see anything wrong with 
with it, then it's very easy to kind of drift into it and to use it and to misuse it and also to be a moving towards addiction. William, if you can be hijacked by pornography, there must be some way to get unhijacked or free from pornography. And it sounds like you're talking about managing your environment. If you'll stay with us, I'd like to talk to you some more. And also about issues of faith and what it is, if you're a Christian, that you should be doing to be able to be free from pornography. Dr. William Strathers is the author of a book called Wired for Intimacy, How Pornography Hijacks the Brain. We'll be back to talk some more shortly. You're listening to the 2020 podcast from the Vision Radio Network. We're back with the author of a book called Wired for Intimacy, How Pornography Hijacks the Brain. Dr. William Struthers is an expert in the area of neuroscience. He's coming to Australia and he'll be speaking in capital cities between the 8th and the 20th of March. You can get the details of dates at www.guiltypleasure.tv. William Struthers, in our last segment, we talked about the way pornography hijacks the brain and we asked the question of whether we can unhijack the brain or get free from the attack of this temptation or this sin that can seriously shut down a person's life. Well, that's a, that's a great question because when we look at the, uh, the way that this kind of, a, of an addiction develops and we look at the way that someone sort of kind of slides into it, what we see is that it really takes advantage of the, the rules that govern how the brain is supposed to work. I mean, we're supposed to find those things that are good for us and chase after those things. But what happens with pornography addiction is that uh, a person will begin to start looking for pornographic material to meet needs that the pornography really doesn't meet. And so they descend into this uh, addiction, and it is really a, a neurological process. There's a hormonal aspect to it. Uh, there's a, a neurochemical aspect to it. So any attempt, I think, to kind of come out of it should at least acknowledge that and, uh, and not try to maybe see that as the only way out of it. It's not like you want to take a pill or try to, uh, uh, you know, find some way to uh, take a shortcut because the, the amount of time that you took developing this habit should also be you know, taken into consideration as you're coming out of it. So any researcher who works with uh, people coming out of addictions knows that oftentimes it's a long haul. But there are a handful of things that are really important. The first thing I think is that the person sort of comes to uh, a conviction that they really do want to change. And that's common in many 12-step programs. And I think also as a person of faith, uh, you, you kind of want to have to stop and, and recognize the situation that you're in. And when we look at the Christian faith, so much of it is about confessing uh, our sin and confessing our brokenness and then also repenting. And it's that, that process of repentance that I, th- that I think is, is really key. What about the environment that a person can create for themselves, uh, people that they're accountable to, the amount of time they might be alone with, uh, with opportunities to access pornography? Uh, the environment management clearly is one of the key areas in coming out of this addiction. You know, that's a, that's a major factor, actually. So when a person is, you know, comes to this place of brokenness and they come to repentance, oftentimes people think that repentance is just about feeling really, really sorry and wanting to change. 
But repentance is about setting yourself in a different direction from your sin. And you have to see what the problems were, what the things about your environment that move you into that place. So is it the people that you're hanging out with? Is it the, uh, the, the, uh, the job that you have? Or what are the things that are moving you into wanting to get into this pornography addiction? So thinking about you know, managing the environment, thinking about getting rid of those triggers that are the things that get you into uh, diving into the pornography use. I think another factor about managing your environment, and you, you alluded to this, is this notion of accountability. There are no good recovery programs that don't involve social support. And you know, as a person of faith, my social support is my family and my church. And so finding people who will uh, you know, kind of call me to account, and not just call me to account in that I confess my sins, but also call me to account so that when good things happen, we can celebrate with one another. And you see this as a hallmark of many good recovery programs, is that when there are significant hurdles, the big victories, the little victories, that we come alongside each other and encourage each other. A final thing I think that's important is right thinking about the problem. And here is where I think there's an awful lot uh, that we can get from Scripture to fix some of the wrong thinking that we have. Sometimes it's wrong thinking about ourselves and our own depravity. Sometimes it's wrong thinking about uh, God. Uh, Sometimes it's wrong thinking about our circumstances. But Scripture can provide a great way to sort of give us a good compass on right thinking. And having the wisdom of other people, helping us understand Scripture, and helping us understand ourselves through that guided wisdom from the church, I think we can find some really helpful tools. So it doesn't have to just be like a shot that you get or a pill that you take or there's some sort of magic moment that happens where now you're fixed, but it is a process of recovery that certainly can take place within the church. And as a person of faith, I see a lot of clear markers for how people can come out of these kinds of problems. You're coming to Australia as a guest of the organization called Guilty Pleasure. And uh, just to very quickly explore the issue of guilt, Uh, I don't know how that works uh, neurologically and how the brain is affected, but uh, that's one of the issues that goes along with pornography and for people who are of people of faith who are trying to recover and to separate themselves into a different environment. Dealing with that guilt is sometimes a difficult thing. Dealing with that guilt is is an incredibly big problem for people who uh, are pornography users because one of the things that pornography does is that it isolates people. Um, inher- it's inherently something that people usually view alone by themselves, and then uh, they they act out to it, and they feel many of them can feel great guilt and great shame. And so what happens is that guilt actually drives them back to the pornography because the rush that they get when they're viewing it in that moment helps them forget that that guilt but what happens unfortunately is many times afterwards that guilt just kind of deepens that spiral the slope on that spiral becomes now more and more severe and the guilt actually drives the pornography addiction rather than providing a healthy corrective to bad behavior which is what guilt should do i mean guilt when you feel guilty about doing something wrong it should not drive you to keep doing it over and over again but that is one of the problems that we see with many people who have pornography addictions is that there's such great shame around it that it tends to uh, keep pushing that uh, that addiction. There is a process, as we've mentioned, William, and uh, being a person of faith, uh, having faith in Christ, uh, that clearly is going to give an energizing to the direction, even though there'll be battles ahead. Is that the case? I do think so. I think one of the problems that 
I see in many recovery programs outside of, uh, of, of, of the faith, outside of the church, is that they have what I call a low ceiling. That is, the hope that they offer is really very, uh, very much kind of, we're just going to help you manage your problem, and we're trying to minimize the harm. And what I think is a great thing about a Christian perspective in thinking about this is that our sexuality is not something that we're trying to squash. It's not something that we're trying to to manage or reduce the harm that it causes. It's actually something that drives us towards sanctification. And in the book, I talk quite a bit about this, about how the sexual drive is really driven out of a deep human need for intimacy. And so when we understand that human need for intimacy better, when we understand how Christ and how the church sort of meet that need for intimacy, the ceiling for recovery now has the roof blown off of it, uh, where it's not just about minimizing harm. It's about becoming more like Jesus, becoming more fully human. And that is not something that you get in a lot of uh, recovery programs outside of the church. So you're saying work on intimacy with God, and uh, in the case of a married couple, work on intimacy with your spouse, making your spouse the object of your sexuality. Correct. And I think that intimacy, oftentimes we, at least here in the States, intimacy has become synonymous with sexual relationships, uh, you know, with, between, a, between a husband and a wife. And I think uh, intimacy probably can be better understood in a, in a broader way. You know, I have intimacy with my children, uh, my son and my two daughters, but it's not the same kind of intimacy that I have with my wife. And I have intimacy with my parents, and I have intimacy with my male friends and my female friends and older men and older women. And so that, that drive for intimacy is that drive to connect us to one another. And Scripture gives us clear guidance on what are appropriate ways to meet those needs for intimacy. And so what happens many times is that people who are not being fed in intimate relations with same-sex friends or uh, opposite-sex friends or older or younger people is they go looking for it in the, the one spot that is supposed to be between a husband and a wife. And, and so they are sort of misusing uh, that unique kind of pleasure that comes when a husband and wife are, are made one flesh, and they're using it to feed themselves in ways that really that's not what is the best way to feed that need. William, there's so many dimensions uh, we'd be able to cover if we had more time to talk. We don't, unfortunately. But uh, to let our listeners know that you are going to be in Australia uh, through until March the 20th, and there are details about your program in cities like Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, Canberra, and Melbourne uh, on the website at www.guiltypleasure.tv. That's www.guiltypleasure.tv. Dr. William Struthers is the author of Wired for Intimacy, How Pornography Hijacks the Brain. And, uh, William, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for your insights today and for being with us on 2020. Neil, thank you so much for having me. Blessings. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.